0: Good morning. It's good to have you all. Listen, for those who are new, um, we just got out of our living room like two weeks ago. We were gathering in our living room and many of us moved here. So, so you're new to Greensburg, we're new to Greensburg, welcome. Um, we moved here specifically to plant a church in Greensburg. And if you look around, there's, there's beautiful church buildings everywhere in Greensburg, and no doubt there's a heartbeat of the church because God's kind to leave a, a faithful witness. But you can never have too many healthy churches in any city. You just can't, you can't have enough. I've never been to a place except for maybe Lancaster or Lancaster or however you want to say it. It's like Christian Wonderland. If you plant a church there within two weeks, if you don't have a thousand people, something's wrong. Um, that's not the case here. It's, it's really not. There's there is a gospel remnant, and I'm so thankful. I've been, I've been meeting different pastors who love Jesus, who love his word. And, and we're, we're thinking about how many different ways we might be able to have an impact here in Greensburg. Right? Because um, it takes many healthy churches to reach a city. Not just one. We're not the answer to this city. Jesus is the answer to this city. We're just a piece of that body. And so we're glad to be here. And so for those who are with us it's uh, as our guest this morning, I'm thankful you're here. I know some of you have a church home, and so I'm thankful that you have a church home. If you don't, I I would be excited if you would consider For the City as maybe a place you might be able to enjoy. Um, As Eli just read, we're going through the book of Galatians. We started last week, and, and we love to be able to read the full chapter right? Because we're only going to take small chunks of it. But what we want you to understand is a context, there's a meaning, there's an understanding around those few, let's say, verses that we're going to be working from today. And we want to understand the bigger picture, so that you might be able to stand this piece, right? So last week we went through the first five verses, and today we're going to go through six through ten, right? So that's what we're going to do the majority of our work, but, but understanding the whole, right? So I've been encouraging our church to read through the book of Galatians, numerous times throughout the week, right? Read a chapter a day and then just read the book straight through. It's it's only 6 chapters. It's it's a letter, right? And start to get the feel for it because if you do, what you'll notice is the first two chapters is really Paul and and what he's doing is he, he's explaining that his gospel is not man's gospel, it's God's gospel. So to not believe this gospel is not to believe God. It's not you're not just rejecting Paul. You're you're rejecting his apostolic like apostolic uh, authority, but that is not given by man. And we're going to get into that in the next two chapters. It's given by God, right? So you're not rejecting me. You're not rejecting my message. You're rejecting God. You're rejecting his son. And that's the first two chapters. And he starts to lay out his argument. Chapters three and four, what you're going to notice in those two chapters is he's going to lay out essentially the the material, why he's bringing this letter and what it's about, which really at the heart of Galatians is justification by faith alone. We are made righteous before a holy God, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything Christ has done and trusting in his perfect life, his death and his perfect resurrection. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father and whom he mediates this relationship between God the Father and sinful man. That is the heart of the book of Galatians. And then chapters five and six are more So, okay, if you're believing that, how do we live in light of this truth? And and what he's going to say is we have real power. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit living in all who believe. And so you're not left alone. You're not left alone to muster up the strength to do this Christian life. You've been given a real helper in the Holy Spirit. He's God, right? We worship one God, three distinct persons, Father, Son, Spirit, and he's with you. He'll never leave you. Worship's not at a place. My Father's seeking those who will worship Him in spirit and truth. So that's, that's Galatians' overview, right? But today we're looking at 6 through 10. But I think what you'll notice if you hang out with us long enough, you'll realize we're a gospel people. We sing it. We pray it. We love it. We preach it. We teach it. Because we believe this glorious message should be celebrated. It should be treasured. It should be protected. But it should never be perverted. And, and that's what's happening in the church in Galatia, or the church is in Galatia. So, look with me. I'm just going to read verses 6 and 7, and, and really this is the first point. So, if you'd like to take notes, point one is another gospel is not another gospel. It's, that's, that's the point. Another gospel is not another gospel, And I think you'll see that. Look with me in Galatians 1, 6 through 7. By the way, if you don't have a Bible with you, we have Bibles out there. You can grab one or we'd be glad to go get you one. Uh, But we'd hope that you'll bring one. We always want you to have the Word of God in front of you. And you'll see why in today's sermon. So he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ he said i'm astonished why 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 are you astonished paul he says because you you so quickly deserted him you're deserting this gospel right i'm I'm utterly shocked i came there i brought you good news and 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 now i'm hearing reports that boy you're muddling it up you're you're abandoning it I'm, i'm astonished at this right by the way we shouldn't be surprised think about moses He's going up on the mountain. He's going to get Ten Commandments. He comes down, and there's a rave happening. There's a little party happening, and they're worshiping a false god. And he's, he's astonished, right? Same thing here. You have that in the Old Testament. You have that. This, in the New Testament, he's shocked. He's angry. But, but notice this. If you're familiar with the Bible, you'll know that all of Paul's letters to the church always start with a, a greeting and then a thanksgiving and a prayer. Not Galatians. Even Corinth Church gets a thanksgiving and a prayer. And if you know any, by the way, if you don't know anything about the Bible, this is a great place to be. That's where we all began. Jesus saved me at 23. I knew nothing. I didn't want anything to do with Jesus. He hunted me down and he saved me, right? So it's a good place to be here. But if you do know the Bible, Corinth Church was like the church gone wild. I mean, they were a total wreck, like debauchery if you just read it. But he's like, I give thanks to God for you. The Galatian church gets none of that, which is interesting, right? Corinth gets a warm message, then he gets into the mess. Here, he doesn't do that. He just gets right to it. And and I think, well, why is that? Well, one, because they had a behavior problem, but they didn't have a gospel problem. And he knew that if they just understood and believed the gospel more, that the Spirit would bring about the fruit that he was longing to see. So he was patient. He was warm with them. Then he did. He He rolled up his sleeves. Let's get to work. But with Galatians, he said, look, listen, if you're not trusting the gospel, I, can't even, I don't care about your behavior. You're off on the wrong foot already. You're believing the wrong thing. You could behave all day long, and it doesn't matter because you might not be saved. That's his point, right? And so that's why he's astonished. He's shocked. He's angry. He, he, why? Because the church is departing from the good news that was preached to them. They're turning to a different gospel. It's not that there is another one. There is no other good news than Christ died for sinners, right? That's at the heart of the gospel. That's it. Christ died for sinners. We could say more, but that's the heartbeat of the good news that, that Paul is preaching. He's distressed that they're moving away from the only hope that they have for forgiveness of sins and life with God. It's the gospel. That's it. You abandon this, you abandon God. Notice that. That's exactly what he says. He says, so quickly deserting, he doesn't say the gospel. He says him. Don't miss that. To abandon the gospel is to turn away from grace, yes, but it's to turn away from a person, not some prepositional phrases. It's to turn away from God. It's to abandon him. Because the good news is is the good news of what Christ has done to bring us near to God, right? John Stott, uh, he said in his his commentary, he said this word, um, abandon, he says, really means deserting. and, And it's actually even stronger than that. It's to transfer one's allegiance, okay? Right? So he said this, quote, he says, It was used for soldiers in the army who would go and fight for another side, or of politicians who would transfer to the other political party, right? It's serious, right? What would that be like here? I don't know. I'm just getting to know Greensburg, but I guess it'd be like someone taking off their Steeler jersey and putting on a Browns jersey, right? That's, whoa, that's serious, right? Um, now, that is serious. It's very serious, but really, it's, it's not a big deal. It's just stupid. Why would you do that? And you might be like, Browns are pretty good now. Okay, but still, hang in there. The Steelers are going to come back around, but it's just kind of dumb. And If you're a Browns fan, welcome. We love you. So does Jesus. Um, But to transfer your allegiance from Christ, where are you going to go? Where where are you going to go? It's it's way more serious than that because essentially you're taking off the jersey of Christ's righteousness, which is perfectly white and pure. And you're you're rummaging around in the garbage looking for some nasty black jersey to put back on, and then your hope is that you're going to clean it up. Where do you go? I'm astonished. I'm astonished that you would do that. By the way, when it says abandon him, let's not forget that right above last week, who is this him? It was Jesus who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. You're abandoning the one who loved you so much that while you're a weak, ungodly sinner, Christ died for you. That's who you're abandoning. Why would you do that? It's insanity. It's absolute insanity. You can see why he is extremely perplexed. He's astonished that the church would do this. He's unsettled. Martin Luther says this, this is the last quote, but it, it's so good. He says, there's no middle ground between Christian righteousness and works righteousness. Polar opposite, right? He says this, he said, there's, there's no alternative to Christian righteousness, but works righteousness. If you do not build your confidence on the work of Christ, you must build your confidence on your own work. Well, that's not good. You might be a great worker, right? He doesn't mean like building sheds. He's meaning perfection. And none of us are perfect. And so to abandon him is to, you now got to get your way to heaven why would you do that? That's insanity. You know you've not been able to do that your whole lives, but now I've given you great news that if you just trust this, you'll have Christ's perfect righteousness. You'll be fully forgiven. You'll be fully justified. But if you abandon that, you've got to go figure it out for yourself. And it's never worked. It will never work. That's why he's astonished. You're leaving good news for damnable news. Why would you do that? And this is why, because you're, he's saying you're deserting the God of all grace the only place to run, by the way, if you're not picking up, is, is yourself. And we should never forget, human, humanity's greatest problem is itself. You are your greatest problem. You'd be like, well, you don't know my cousin. I don't need to know your cousin. Your cousin might be a real rascal, right? But, but you're your greatest problem. And he's saying, if you're going to run from God, you've got to run to yourself. And you make a horrible God. You make a horrible Savior. You you can't even save yourself from a bad day. How are you going to save yourself from the wrath of God? You're not. I'm astonished. I'm astonished. You know, when we turn from the gospel of grace, you turn from Jesus, you turn into yourself, and there's no assurance of salvation found in you. There's just none to be found. But the message of the gospel of grace is that you and I are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. That's it. That is the message, right? Nothing more, nothing less. It's perfect just the way it is, right? You can't look in, you have to look up. It, It requires faith, and it you might just have a little bit of faith, and that's sufficient, right? Because I think sometimes we make it about the, you have to have this great faith. No, you, you, you can have a very minuscule faith, but it needs to be in a great God who can actually do something. So it's the object of your faith that saves you, not the amount of faith that saves you, which I thank God for that, because there's times, especially over this last year, I'm like, why did we move here again? This is insane. It's like just me and you and, and the poppy and Sarah. And, and, and then he kept bringing a couple more people, but God never left us. Well, listen, if he never left us in the city of Greensburg, which is even silly, even if you fell alone there, he will never abandon you ever. Why would you turn from him? The only place to go is to you. You can't save yourself. You can't save anyone, right? So assurance is our assurance is anchored in the fact of God's love and grace through Christ who called us. You see it right in the text. He called us. We didn't, we didn't call ourselves, right? So we trust him. He's a great savior. Okay? So that's the first point. But the second thing I think we're going to see is if you look at verses 8 through 9, is a a different gospel brings condemnation. Right? That's really at the heart of what he's saying. A different gospel brings condemnation. Listen, as I read verses 8 and 9, he says, but even if we are an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That word is anathema. Essentially, go to hell. Well, that's not very kind. Talk to Paul. As we have said before, so now I say again if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Let him be under a curse, right? I love that Paul throws himself in here. Or I mean, if I just go crazy, and I come back around and I'm like, oh, you know, I know I said it was just by grace alone, through faith alone, Christ alone, but I was wrong. Until he got that thing messed up, there's one little more component. You definitely got to do this thing. You got to be circumcised. You, you got to quit eating pork, all right? You got to put away the bacon. Whatever he says, he's saying, don't believe me. And he throws an angel in. Someone might say, why would he throw an angel? Why would an angel, well, I mean, little cute little cherub come and bring bad news. I don't know, talk to the Mormon religion. It's real. I don't say that to discredit them. I, I pray, we, we, we've just interacted. The first church a Mormon liked for the city church. And I'm like, that's interesting. But I hope to get to know them because they're lost. They're just as lost as I was. Because they're trusting in a savior who can't save. They're trusting in a different Jesus. They're trusting not in the gospel of grace. They're trusting in a message that did come down from an angel that was not true. They didn't listen to Paul in Galatians. Paul said, but if I come back and I say something different, don't believe me either. This is serious. Some might say, wow, Paul, this seems a little harsh. It's just a little different than what you taught, you know? But besides, these Judaizers, which we talked about last week, that they're really, I mean, they're, they love God. They talk about God all the time. They're actually very kind. They're very, they're, they're sweet They're serious. I mean, they're very serious about their religion. What, what they say, you know, it kind of makes sense. Right, it's you know essentially we gotta take on some Jewish traditions. It's not a big deal. Why so intense? Chill out, Paul. They might say that, but put yourself in Paul's sandals. Seriously, put yourself in Paul's sandals and think about Paul, who is the greatest missionary, preaching, church-planting man who God ever allowed to walk the face of the earth. He went to bring good news. We went to Greensburg, but we had a U-Haul. We had people to help move us. I mean, it was not a big deal, right? It was a big deal for us because, well, we're very fragile. But Paul had to cross mountains. He had to cross seas. He He got beaten. He got bloodied. All for the sake of bringing the gospel to a people who wanted nothing to do with God, nothing to do with the gospel. And so he was willing to, to, he's going to talk about, I'm going to show the scars that I've experienced to make sure you have this gospel message. And now you're turning away from it? This is serious, right? And you're going to hear it all throughout the letter, right? In Galatians 3, 1, you don't have to turn there. He's going to say, oh, foolish Galatians. Listen, he's going to say, who has bewitched you? Who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. In, in Galatians 5.1, he's going to say, for, listen, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm. Do not move. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Because if you do, you'll fall away from grace. That's what he's going to say, right? And so how quickly new believers can just drift away from grace. We just, we just do. And fall into false teaching. It just happens. Why are they so attractive? Because <laughs> if, if you just think about it in, intellectually, well, why would you ever want to go try to earn your way into God's favor when it's there? But we do it. We drift. You're like, I don't do it. You do it. You do it. Now, you, God in his kindness and his grace might just bring you right back real quick and remind you But our hearts are so prone to wonder what makes them so attractive. That's the question. And I think false gospels are attractive because they they essentially glorify man or woman. They make much of you. They don't make much of God, right? You can boast in your achievement, right? Like you can make Jesus like your height boy or height, you know, like, yeah, he helped me, but look at what I've done. I mean, I read the Bible from front to back three times a week and I do it in the original language. I read it in Greek. I read it in Hebrew and I read it in a little bit of Aramaic. Aren't I impressive? So you could brag and you could look at everybody else and say, you got, do you even read it in English? I don't even know if you read the Bible at all. Look at me. I think that's why they're so attractive, because they look to you. So back to the original question, why so serious, Paul? Why so serious? Because Christ's glory is at stake. Christ's glory is at stake. People's souls are at stake. The health and well-being of the church is at stake. That's why it's so serious. Because here's the deal. You cannot distort the gospel of grace and not disrupt the health of the church. It's impossible. And Paul's dead serious about the health of the church, right? Because because here's the deal. The church is created and lives by the gospel. It's the lifeblood. It's it's how we come to the throne of grace. It's, It's that we can understand, I'm not worthy. You've made me worthy. You didn't love me because I was lovable. You made me lovable because you died for me. And so, in my weakest, in my most sinful moments, I can still come to you because you've done it all. It's grace. It's the lifeblood. And if you turn from that, the only place to go is to religion. And I'm saying that in a negative sense of of wanting to add to Christ's righteousness or irreligion. I just can't do this anymore. I'm just going to turn down for what? No more. I'm just going to go hang out, wow out, and do crazy stuff. It's the only place to go. See what the what the Judaizers are teaching is not an interesting or some insignificant addition to the gospel what what they're doing will literally lead their hearers to hell if they embrace it as truth and Paul is saying you're going to hell because you're teaching it you're under a curse that's why by the way side note You always ought to judge the preacher by the Bible. You ought to judge the preacher by the gospel, the truth of the gospel, not judge the gospel or the Bible by the the, the teacher or the preacher. This is why like a a teacher and a preacher submits himself to the authority of the word. The the word's inerrant, not not the preacher, right? And, And sometimes it can be real attractive to just kind of put the Bible down here and stand on it and over it and and just put a bunch of junk into it and say things you want to say cuz it's kind of like a springboard and I just want to talk about all the things I want to talk about we we will not do that if I do that get one of those big hooks drag me off throw me out this window and bring someone else in here because I have I have no words other than that Than what's found in the Bible. The Bible is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the division of soul and spirit and joint and marrow. Every one of us are seen by God. We are naked. We are exposed. We cannot hide from him. His word brings healing. It brings life, life abundantly. And to go outside of that is not good news for you at all. So we want to stay very close to the word. We want to learn the word. We want to bring out the truth that's in the word so that you can see it. Now, I need the Holy Spirit to do that heavy lifting, but I'm going to do everything in my power to do that. I don't want to just put stuff into the Word to say all the things I want you to know, because I want you to know God. I want you to know God, and the way we know Him is through His Word by His Spirit. So ask Him to teach you, and He loves to do that. He loves to do that. That's why it's so serious. Practically, for what this means for For the City Church is that you and I should have healthy disagreements. I know within our culture, it's like, whoa, we don't disagree about anything. Cancel that person. But that ought not be true in the church. We can have healthy disagreements as long as we're loving one another over it, right? Um, So Bible translation. Uh, If you're not Sure, we're using the ESV, but we're not an ESV-only church, right? If you're like, oh, I really like the NASB, me too, I love it, I study with it, it's enjoyable. You're like, well, I like the NIV, I might be like, eh, it's okay, right, depending when you, when you got it, right, 1987 and before, it's good, but then they took out some gender pronouns that really mattered and made it kind of messy, but that's cool, that's cool, we can, we can have healthy debates over that. We ought to have healthy debates over that, right? Otherwise, you might end up like a King James-only church, which is not good. I mean that. It's not good. It's not good at all. Style of worship. We can discuss that. We can be... We just want music that exalts Christ, that teaches the gospel, that's not man-centered, that... If you changed a few words, you couldn't just put it on, you know, pop radio and sing songs about your boyfriend or girlfriend. Like, we want Christ-exalting, gospel-centered music. But we could even disagree about some of those things. I mean we'll change it, but we could have a healthy, vibrant conversation, right? So all of those things, but we must be united around the, the gospel. We must understand the gospel. There are open-handed discussions, but the gospel is not one of them. It's it's, this is the gospel, and I'll die for it. I'll die for it. And I want you to say, I'd do the same. And God would need to give me grace to do that because I'm a coward at most of my life and I just want to run from it. But right now, as I stand here today, I think, yeah, no, I'd die for it. Hope I could do that if it ever happened. Because the gospel is worth fighting for, It's, it's worth speaking out over. It's worth reminding ourselves over and over again. That's why Paul is so serious. That's why his language is so serious. Why? Because of love. Love, right? Song comes to my mind, I'm old. What's love got to do with it? Right? You know that song? If you don't, it's okay, it's not that great. But love has everything to do with it. Love has everything to do with it. Jesus says, you will know my disciples by the way they love one another. But it's not a mamby-pamby kind of wimpy love. No, Paul's giving them love. He's saying, I love my God. I love this church. I love the gospel. I'm astonished. It's, you get this, right? You understand this tone if you have anyone in your life you love. You just you get it. We were just at the beach. It was awesome. My wife's like, why didn't we plant a church at the beach? I don't know. Greensburg. She's like, we could have done that. Like, I mean, we could have came here and it's great to suffer in the sand, right? Sunshine, but there's still sin there. We came to Greensburg, but you understand the language. I have a daughter. I'm I'm like, I love this girl. And if she's in the water and I see a shark coming near her, I'm not going to be like, "Um, sweetie, I just want you to know that there's a great big fish with great big teeth and he's coming near you. So like when you get some time, maybe you could just gather your things, come to shore, and daddy will get you a little, you know, ice pop. You just wouldn't do that. It's insanity. If, if you did that, like, you, no one would be saying, chill out. They'd be like, dude, you need to drink a Red Bull, get some wings, fly out there, grab your daughter, bring her to shore. Right? Like, you'd be screaming like, Sarah. Right? I don't want to blow your eardrums out. But like, Honey shark, right, like, come on, why, keep yelling at me, dad, no, I love you, that's what, that's, what, that's what Paul's doing, he's loving them, he's loving them, and you might be thinking, well, all right, well, that was then, this is now right? Uh, I don't see any Judaizers hanging out in Greensburg, right? No one's ever talked to me about circumcision or, or dietary laws or, hey, is that a mixed tweed shirt that you have going on there? Knock it off, right? <laughs> There's not, so, so why are we, okay, that was then. That was then. This is now. I don't see any Judaizers. Well, that's true, right? Because we've been housing bacon since we got to Greensburg. So that is true, But there's still many people who are out there peddling something. They're calling the gospel and it's distorted. It just looks different. And so, so what's it look like? Well, about 10 years ago, a man named Trevin Wax wrote a book. And and the book was called Counterfeit Gospels. And and so I found it to be very helpful. Um, And and so I'll give you a little bit of an understanding of what he talked about. Because I think it'll help us understand maybe some of the things that might be happening out there. You might recognize some of them. Oh, yeah, I know some people like that. But but you might also recognize, ooh, my heart likes that one. And and so we want to be a people who... Humble ourselves and and say, Lord, search me. Are these are these things I'm drawn to? Are these things I might be in danger towards? Right. And so He does that. I'm gonna I'm just gonna read. Right. He says, um, He uses this description of the biblical gospel as a three-legged stool. Okay where each leg of the stool is important in understanding the message of the gospel. And so he explains each leg. The first leg is the story, the gospel story, right? The grand narrative of the Bible, the creation, fall, redemption, restoration. So that's one leg. Then within that overarching framework, he would call it the announcement, the gospel announcement about Christ and what he's done in his perfect life, his substitutionary death and his resurrection and his exaltation. So that's the second leg. And then the third leg is he calls the gospel community, right? So you got story, announcement, community. And and within that, that the gospel births a gospel community. We call that the church, right? The church is not a building. It's God's redeemed people. It's the embodiment of the gospel and the manifestation of God's kingdom here on earth. So so that's the three-legged stool. You need all three legs for that thing to actually be stable, okay? Pretty easy. You can see it. You can picture it. I should have brought a stool, but I didn't. In the book, then, he says, but there's these colony of termites that essentially eat away at one of the legs until this this whole thing topples over on itself, because it can't stand if you remove any one of those legs. So with all that as a little bit of an introduction, I'm going to read to you, I'm going to read them kind of quick, because I'm going to run out of time, if not, but six of them, and you can look them up online, Um, you could buy the book, or you could just look it up, he has a PDF of it, right? But he gives the first counterfeit, Therapeutic Gospel. The story of the therapeutic gospel, by the way, is the fall is seen as a failure for humans to reach potential. Sin is primarily about us, it robs us of our sense of fullness. Well, what's the announcement? Well, Christ's death proves our inherent worth as human beings and gives us the power to reach full potential. What's the community? The community helps us along in our quest for personal happiness and vocational fulfillment. That's called the therapeutic gospel. That's a counterfeit gospel, that's not a true gospel right? Well, what's the next one? You're like, well, I don't know about that. Okay, judgmentlessness, right? Judgment-less gospel. Story, restoration is more about God's goodness than his judgment of evil or his response to rebellious humanity. The announcement, Jesus's death is more about defeating humanity's enemies, death, sin, Satan, than the need for God's wrath to be averted by sacrifice. Community, the boundaries between community and the church and the world are blurred, in a way that makes personal evangelism less urgent and unnecessary because, well, if there's no judge, hey, right, eat, live, die tomorrow, we all go to heaven, yay, right, so so that'd be one. And there's, I'm going to just read the titles of the other ones and I'll just keep moving. There's the moralistic gospel. There's one that's called the quietist gospel, kind of like Amish but a little different. There's the activist, right, seen a lot of that over the last year. There's the churchless gospel, and all of them are perverted. That's just to name a few, by the way. You can look them up. I was going to read them all, but I'm not going to do that. But you should look them up, and you should see, is my heart leaned towards one of those counterfeits, right? Now, how do you know? Because that's really the question. When I worked at a company, Radio Shack, um, there was a the time where $100 bills were going around rampant, and they were a counterfeit. So our loss prevention manager called us all to go to, to Erie and he handed out $1,000, ten one $100 bills, and he said, one of these is a counterfeit. If you figure out which one it is, I'll give you $100. wasn't a ton of managers, right? So like, at, he had already calculated that loss. He's a loss prevention manager, and he was pretty confident most of us would not get it. A couple of us might get lucky, right? So we're all looking at it, and this is serious. 100 bucks, man. That was a big deal for me. And so I'm trying to figure it out, and I, I blew it. We didn't get the little pen and all the little things and and then I thought, "Oh man, he's going to teach us all about counterfeits, and he didn't. He taught us about a hundred dollar bill. I know more about a hundred dollar bill now than I ever would have cared to. I just thought it'd be nice to have some right That's all I knew about a hundred dollar bill but but the thing he taught me that day is the best way to spot a counterfeit is to know the real thing. Pfft, that'll preach right that Preach john loss prevention manager, right? And so I bookmarked that in my heart and in my mind, which is why, as a church, we're very serious about celebrating, singing, preaching, teaching, loving, praying, rallying around the gospel. And everyone's gospel-centered anymore because it's such a cliche little tagline. But then you show up and you're like, mm, not sure about that. I'm Not sure about that, but we seek to be that. We seek to be that. And, and the temptation to even move off center, it's there. Because you could just do some things and finagle some things, and lots of people would show up. But you just lead them to hell. Because only the gospel is the good news of salvation. It is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. So we preach, we teach, we love the gospel. That's why Tuesday nights, as we gather, are important. Because that's really where we get to hear from one another more. And those things are going to continue to grow and change. But we'd love for you to show up. You're like, well, I've only ever been here one week. Okay, we all started there, right? And, yeah, we got room. So come on in. If, if you're new and if you're looking for a church home, we're going to be, in a couple weeks, we're going to be going through a book called Saturate. We already went through it as a core team. But why it's so important is because in that book, you understand what the gospel is and how to live in light of it. So that's, we're going to be going through that again. But just miss, don't miss this. Listen, this is why, we need clarity on what the gospel is. So many other things clutter our minds. So many other things clutter our lives. I'm talking about the church. We're tempted to forget about the gospel and move on to bigger and better things, right? In many churches, the temptation could be to focus on being good parents, which by the way, we're pro good parents. Like we like good parents. You could be a horrible parent and we like that. We like you. We don't like that. We would want to help you. We want to serve you. We want to equip you, right? And we're all somewhere between good and a mess, right? <sighs> to have good marriages. We want good marriages. We want healthy marriages. We, we want that, right? And to have meaningful relationships and friendships. We, we want that. These things are important to us. Social justice work. Like we want to do things in the city. But none of those things are the gospel. They're all good. They're not bad, but they're not the main thing. And we believe that if you understand the main thing, if you understand the gospel, that from that will flow, that's right, what it means to be a parent that parents with grace. And what to do when you blow it. What to do when you blow it? To say, I blew it. I totally wrecked it up. I'm sorry. Thankfully, you have a perfect heavenly father. All right, let's go to him in prayer. Let's ask him to help daddy get a grip right? Marriages, right? But the gospel informs all of those things. The reason it matters is because if we're not careful, we'll slowly drift away from the gospel of free grace into gospel and being a great parent, gospel and being a great husband, gospel and being a great wife, gospel and being the best of friends. You're not a great savior. You're not a great God. You're a horrible God. Quit putting the pressure on you. Thankfully, we have a perfect God. Let's worship him. And that's where freedom is found. We must contend and uphold the gospel of grace because there is no other gospel. Third and final point. That doesn't mean we're almost done, by the way. I have to quit doing that. But we'll be done soon. We'll be done soon. Hang in there. We love to preach the word. We love to teach the word. And we're not afraid to do that for length. We'll we'll binge 18 episodes of Netflix, not blink. But boy, keep it under 30 minutes or my waffles will get cold. We don't believe that. We don't believe that right? The third point is the gospel of grace creates God-pleasers, not man-pleasers. You see it in verse 10. Verse 10 says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ, Paul says. (laughs) This verse, by the way, is a link between the section we just went through and the section that's coming up. I almost threw it into next week, but you're getting it today. You might get some tomorrow or next Sunday. See, apparently some people were accusing Paul of being some cowardly man pleaser, which is astonishing in itself. Possibly because they thought Paul avoided preaching circumcision and all the dietary laws and he lowered the bar for salvation, right? And, and he was essentially giving a cheap gospel, Right? Just trust, just believe. I've heard people say that. Well, I love how he anticipates the argument off with a question. He says, Am I now? Am I now? All right, you just read that. Anathema. You, know, you wanna believe that? You're accursed. Am I now seeking the approval of manner of God? What do you think, church? That's what he's asking. Oh, well, they're saying I'm a coward? What what do you think now? Judaizers who are hanging out there. Do you think I'm a coward now? Am I seeking your approval now, Judaizers? What do you think? I mean, it's a a rhetorical question. Of course, he's saying the obvious answer is God. That's right. Unlike the false teachers, Paul's goal was not to receive the applause of man, he wasn't looking for pats on the back. It seems pretty obvious after he just pronounced judgment upon them that. Yeah, I'm not trying to to get your approval. And I shouldn't be accused of trying to get your approval. I literally just told you that if you continue your antics, you will be judged by God. I don't care about your approval. I want to stand before my God and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm a servant of Christ. I'm not a servant of you. Man, do we need more pastors, more preachers, more teachers. To have that spine. Paul's total focus is is on his new master. His new master, his aim was to make much of Christ. Everything he did was for the sake of magnifying Jesus. That was his aim. Paul loved Jesus, which meant he loved the gospel. Paul loved Jesus, which meant he loved the gospel. He loved the church because he loved the gospel. Paul loved sinners, which meant he loved the gospel. To love the gospel is to love God. To love the gospel is to love the church. To love God and the gospel is to love sinners. That's what it means. So get this. If the aim of your life is to make a bunch of people impressed with you and get a pat on the back, then you will not be a faithful or fruitful witness to the gospel of Christ. You will not. Make no mistake about it. You cannot do it. You cannot seek to be a man pleaser, always have someone like you follow you on Instagram or, or Twitter or whatever, tic-tac-toe or <laughs> you, you, you can't. If you do, if you do, you will at some point turn from your God so that you can hear the applause of people that are broken just like you. It's insanity. But we do it. I've done it. God help us. Why does it matter so much? First, if we crave the approval of a particular person or a group of people, then we will fear their disapproval. Right? It's in us. You're weird if you don't want to be liked. I don't care. You care more than anybody. How I know is because you say that. I don't care what anybody thinks. Yes, you do. You care what everybody thinks. That's why you're telling us all about how you don't care. You're focused on it. But if you do that, it's a terrible thing because what will happen is you'll be shamefully silent when it comes to telling them the truth about the gospel. Real quick story, um, I was at the White Rabbit enjoying a coffee this week, studying and preparing for this message. And there was this, this young lady who went up to a man in line, she never met, as far as I could tell, and she's, she just starts to engage him in a gospel conversation. I'm like, this is awesome, right? And she's like, hey, so like, so what do you think about God, man? right?" And, and I was like, does she mean God, man, the God, man, Christ? or she's like no God man okay cool and he's like ah, uh, yeah yeah and she's like well, like, are, are you a believer he's like uh, no not so much she's like oh I am I just went through a divorce two years ago. Jesus saved me. And so I'm like, this is like stunning. Like she just like went for it. And like this dude's just trying to get coffee. Right. And and so he's like, yeah, man, I I used to go to the church and do the church thing, but I'm not down with the church anymore. Everybody's down on the church. Right. I don't like the church. Here, And he starts to say why. And she's like, oh, yeah, well, have you ever been to like a non-denominational church? I'm like, oh. Okay, cool. This is interesting. She's like, you know, a spirit field church, a church who loves Christ. And I'm like, okay, it's going to start to get a little bit interesting. And so he's like, no, every church I went to just told me I was a bad person. I'm like, that's probably a good church. Depends how they follow up with that. Um, but I'm just having this conversation in my head as I'm watching it all unfold. And, and she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, oh, don't, don't waver. So I prayed for her. And then he's like, you know, like where they just like preach brimstone and fire. I'm like, okay, I don't even know what that means anymore. And I don't think you do. Um, but then he's like, you know, like where they talk about hell. And, and I'm like, mm, that's in the Bible. And, um, and then he's like, You do you believe that? And I'm like, oh, here you go. Softball, Swing about a swing, you're going to hit it. And she goes, "No, no, we're all about love. I'm like, "Oh uh. So I prayed for them. You're like, "Well, did you get up and interject yourself? Nope, I didn't. Should have I? I don't know, I'll let you judge that. I didn't. There's just so much fear of man going around, and not enough fear of God going around. God, help us to fear you. Help us to have courage. Help us to trust in Christ crucified and risen. Give us courage to say that you're not saved if you don't trust in Jesus, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. The only way to the Father is through Him. Give us courage to do that. Why? Because people are deconstructing their faith everywhere, an alarming rate right now. Because... They don't understand the gospel, I think, right? But your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers the ones you say you love need you to be unashamed of the gospel. They need you to understand the gospel. They need you to understand you have the approval of God, and therefore you don't need the approval of man or woman or child. And you need grace for that. Because every one of us has a heartbeat of, I want you to like me. And that's a good thing, but it can become a bad thing when it's an ultimate thing. Right, And so God, help us to do that. If not, you'll be tempted to fear people. You'll be tempted to blend in with the rest of the nominal evangelicals who just smile, say nothing, do nothing, except they might make you or bake you cookies. And gosh darn it, aren't they sweetie pies. But, but, but they're leading people astray. Just because someone gives you a smile doesn't mean it's love. Just because someone's nice doesn't mean it's love. I mean this is so important that we get this because nice you're not even commanded to be nice in the Bible. Right? So just get that word. That's such a wimpy word. Love, what what is love? Love is, G- Jesus said, I laid my life down for you. I died in your place. You deserved wrath. You were the enemy of God. I took your place. I became an enemy of God. I absorbed the wrath of God in your place. That's love. Love is is something that leads you, it's compassion that leads you to action. That's love. To love someone and you see a shark coming for them and to just sit on the beach and say, well, they really look like they're enjoying the sunshine and the salt water. I don't want to interrupt their day. That's not love. That's love of self. To, to to, To sound the alarm for your neighbor and say, man, I love you so much. I want you to know that Christ died for you. That's love. I don't like that message, and I don't like you, but I love you. No, you don't. No, I do. I've been praying for you. Would you come to our house for dinner? No, you mean person. Right? They might think that, but that is love. To continue to serve them and to love them, to pray for them and engage them is love. i got other things I want to say. We're going to skip all of that. Paul says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Here's what it comes down to. If you fear people, then you will be in awe of them. By the way, fear doesn't mean like, ah, always in the Bible. It's, it's awe. You're amazing. You're stunning. Holy, holy, holy are you, God Almighty. It's awe. It's, you, you've caught his splendor. If you fear people, you'll be in awe of them. You'll be a slave to their opinion. You will serve people, not Christ. But if you, by God's grace, fear God, you will be captivated by his greatness. And you'll understand that there's no better place than to be in loving, joyful obedience to the God who died to save me. In a sense, you'll either worship the one and not the other. You'll either worship God and not worship the approval of man, or you will worship the approval of man and not worship God. It comes down to worship. Your heart, right? Ask yourself, who do you desire to please? Whose approval matters most? What if the answer comes back as something other than God? Then remember the gospel. (laughs) Run to Christ. Be washed. Be reminded that, that his love for you has not changed. Because the gospel destroys all idol-pleasing, man-pleasing veins that run through our heart, but they have to be killed often, daily. Every day you must wake up and die to that, be reminded that you no longer live, but Christ lives in you, the God who loves you and saved you and died for you, Jesus Christ, and now by faith you walk with him, right? Because in the gospel, we realize that trusting in Christ God, in the gospel, the the full and perfect love and approval, you have been fully forgiven and you have his perfect righteousness. You have both. By faith, right? And trust him. You've been fully forgiven. You have his righteousness. So if if you're like, man, I've found that I, I am a people pleaser, ask him right now, right where you sit. God, forgive me change my heart. Give me a bigger picture of you. Help me to love you more, right? Come, he'll do that. You have a real personal God. If you're in Christ, he's with you. He's in you. He'll help you. He'll help you. He loves to help those who are needy. That's all we are. We're just needy. And so he'll give you grace. And so Christian, listen, be approved, just just be assured, right now as you sit there of God's perfect love and approval of you, not because of you. Not because you've never feared man. Not because you've never been drifting towards a false gospel, but because Christ died for sinners. And you're one, so you qualify. And be assured. And if he died for you while you are a weak, ungodly sinner, how much more would he not just pour out grace and mercy and love upon his children? That's coming. Hang in there. I think it's Chapter 3 He really hammers it. Right, so as you sit here, if you're in Christ, God's pleased with you. His smiles upon you, He delights in you, and it's not because of anything you have done or haven't done. It's because of everything Christ has done in your place. And so, therefore, we live out of that truth. Right? I'm not saying that. Well, that we just believe belief in that is what changes behavior, not not behavior first, and then I'll get my believing right. It's when we understand the love of Christ, his spirit dwells in us. We learn what it means to walk by the spirit, to be full of the spirit, to be led by the spirit, to live by the spirit, so that God might produce in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Oh, Lord, help us. He will. So you're a, You've been approved. You are loved. And it's not because of anything you've done. It's because of everything Christ has done for you. That's the gospel. Don't drift from it. Stick very close to it. And, um, and give thanks for it. And let's let's respond. So let me pray. And then Kevin's going to come up and he's going to lead us. We're going to sing a couple more songs and he'll tell you all about it. So Father, we thank you that there is... isn't. One gospel, one true, pure gospel, God, help our church to stay so close to it, so very near to this one true gospel. Teach us in the inward parts of our heart and our mind. We might be able to say it with our our lips and with our tongue and understand it in our heart, but I pray that you would just press it upon our heart in a way that we understand it on Tuesday morning when we're trying to get you to, to love us, that we'd understand we are loved. God, help us. We need your help. We need your grace. We're so thankful you're a father who loves to help his children. Pour out more of yourself upon your people, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.